You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Amen. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, as we continue through our study of this book, being reminded of both the resistance of the world to the culture uh, or, uh, and the culture around us to the church, to the gospel, as well as the resilience of the gospel and the church in the midst of the first century, as well as leaning into this 21st century, what God is calling us to as his people. The resistance keeps growing, and I think that we're looking around at the world around us, and we see that, uh, there is no doubt about it that there is more and more resistance to the church in these days. And yet, I believe that we need to see from the Holy Spirit and God's Word what is required for the church to remain resilient even amidst all of the resistance that is growing. It's a great need for encouragement uh, in our day because the mission goes on. And I believe that with all of my heart. Uh, it's been 2,000 years, just over 2,000 years since the mission began. And for 2,000 years, the gospel has continued to go forward. And I want to just encourage you week and week after week that we don't quit. That we don't quit because God has called us to this uh, plan. He's called us to this mission. And in spite of the circumstances, God is working. And in fact, in the circumstances, God is in fact working. They are actually part of His plan. And so with all of that, I am excited to be able to uh, bring to you again God's word in another place where we see this phrase over and over again, that the word of God continues or continued in the first century to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. It's the resounding theme throughout Acts. And so we began chapter 13 last week and we looked at the story of Paul and Barnabas as they set sail there from Antioch to Cyprus and began to travel around Cyprus coming to the place called Paphos and they run into this Jewish false prophet named Barjesus. You remember the story? Despite all of his resistance to them, the proconsul believed the gospel, praised the Lord and was saved. And many others around them, the same thing began to take place all across the island of Cyprus. Well, now we come to the end of chapter 13. We're going to look at the end of it. We'll fill in the middle here in just a few moments together. But as we come to the end of chapter chapter 13, we find yet again more resistance to the gospel. And yet again, the resilience of the gospel and the church. Uh, so this morning, I want you to see this passage. It may be a little bit longer, hopefully not than usual, but there is so much to be seen here and such a powerful word for us as the church. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 13, begin with me this morning at verse 42. 
The Bible says, as they went out, this is describing Peter, or rather Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, who was with them, no doubt others. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men in this, of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray, God, that you would help us to see the multiplying of the church in the New Testament. God, that we would learn from them and see our responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to be faithful no matter what resistance comes our way. Knowing this, that you are faithful even to the ends of the earth, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that your presence empowers the preaching of your word, the witness of Christ. And even as the gospel goes forth, that you in your sovereignty will bring people to saving faith. God, thank you that we have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. And in fact, even as the resistance grows in the church against the church, no matter how much it grows against us, God, we still have a God who is in control and who's given us this mission that will never fail. Lord, I pray even as some may be listening in this morning, either online or somebody even in this room this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ, I pray that they would hear the gospel as it's proclaimed by your word and that they would be saved from their sin today and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, become a disciple and a follower of Jesus today and their life be totally changed. Stir us, awaken us as your church, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. So let's let's fill in the gap, shall we? We kind of picked up on, an hang, on a hanging ending at the end of Acts chapter 13. So we need to fill in the gaps here. What happened after the run-in with Bar-Jesus or Elamis, as we looked at last week, and the proconsul who ultimately became a disciple of Jesus Christ? What happened after that? Well, Acts chapter 13 gives us the window. Chapter 13, verse 1 says that Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch of Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
So if you are not familiar with biblical geography, here's a map for you. You can kind of see where they are on the uh, what would be the western or the, the the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. They set sail from Antioch and they went down to Cyprus. I don't know if you can see that from where you are, but they went down uh, down to Salamis and port put the port city there and circled around the island to Paphos where they ran into Bargesus. Well, now they're setting sail from that bottom corner and they they port again in Perga and go up to Antioch. And what you're going to notice is that Antioch is different from that Antioch, the place where they set sail from. It's a different city. This Antioch is actually in uh, Pisidia or near Phrygia and Galatia is in that same area, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians. But they left one Antioch, ultimately ending up in another Antioch, different city. But interestingly, the story of these two Antiochs bears a similar ring. We'll see this later as the story of the original Antioch is picked back up in Acts chapter 15. But it becomes a preview into a much larger window, uh, a much larger theme in the book of Acts. And one that's really introduced for the very first time in this passage. And we need to see it. And so we didn't read the story of Peter and Cornelius. You remember I kind of referred to that a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and in uh, Acts chapter 11 and read this story. But what happened is Peter received this vision from the Lord that he was to go to this one Cornelius. But it didn't begin to be so plain. It began with with telling Peter that he should eat this meat that he considered unclean. And what Peter says to the Lord is, I've never eaten this unclean meat and three times. Jesus says to Peter to do this. And he says, finally, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And this is Acts chapter 11, verse eight. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And then the mic drops here in this moment, so to speak. Verse nine. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. Important statement. What God has made clean, do not call common. So immediately the request comes right after this vision. The request from comes from Cornelius, who, by the way, is a Gentile to come and tell him the gospel. And that God had sent for this to happen because Cornelius had also had a dream had had a vision from the Lord. And so Peter goes and proclaims the gospel. When he comes back to the church in Acts chapter 11, what happens is he has to give an account to the church for why he went to this Gentile man. Chapter 11, verse 2 says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, the Jews, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's the same kind of criticism you remember that Jesus received. You eat with sinners. Right. So they criticized him and he says, so you have this resistance to the Gentile believers that will continue to grow until the Jerusalem council meets again in Acts chapter 15. So this this story continues in Antioch. But notice how Antioch becomes different. The Gentiles receive Christ there in Cornelius house and it begins to spread throughout the whole region. And then in Antioch. 
people become to, people begin to come to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But watch what happens. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So this is what's happening. Jerusalem, the early church, the initial launching of the church has rejected and is beginning to reject the mission of God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Such that Jew after Jew after Jew begins to resist the movement. And ultimately, the church ends up moving to Antioch. And the new center of Christianity is now in Antioch instead of Jerusalem. Don't miss this. What began as an assumption that the gospel was for the Jews later turned into a presumption. Because the one people who had received the gospel forgot their mission to multiply the gospel to all people. What began as a celebration, an assumption, Jesus, you've given us the gospel as Jews, turned into presumption when they failed to take the gospel to the world. And because the one people who received the gospel forgot their mission to multiply, to the, multiply the gospel to all people, God ultimately took others to the Gentiles so that they would ultimately hear the gospel across the entire world. That story at Antioch proper became the window that we see in the second Antioch there in Pisidia. It becomes a small window into the same issue. And so while at Antioch of Pisidia, the Sabbath day comes and the Bible tells us here in our passage that they sat down in the synagogue waiting to hear. It's something that Paul would have done regularly. He was a Jew. He went into the synagogue hoping to hear the word and to ultimately have an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so it comes. And so after verse 15 of chapter 13, it tells us after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them. And they're passing notes there in the synagogue. I don't know what's going on, but they get the message and says that, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And Paul's like, ha, I got a word of encouragement. Let me just go ahead and tell you what Jesus has done. It's interesting that the people in the New Testament keep getting when they're in the right place at the right time doing the thing that God has called them to do. They keep getting platforms to proclaim the gospel. It's an amazing thing. Same thing happens today. And so he begins to stand up and we we don't have time to walk all the way through this chapter. But just listen to the things that he hits verses 16 and 17. He proclaims to them God's redemption of Israel from Egypt. One of the biggest pointers to the redeeming of God's people from their sin that Jesus was going to do. Moses led them out of Egypt, but Jesus would ultimately lead his people into the promised rest eternally, ransoming us from sin. He proclaimed to them God's patience with Israel in the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but God has had an incredible amount of patience with me and my disobedience and my actions against him and my sin. The Bible, in fact, teaches that he was long suffering toward me, patient, not willing that I should ultimately perish, but that I should come to faith in repentance. And this is the reason why today I know God through his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus was patient with me. 
God is, uh, or Paul proclaims to them this giving Israel the promised rest in verse 19, which of course is emblematic of his giving ultimate rest to his people, not in a land, but in a promised eternity. He proclaims to them God's giving them judges and prophets and kings. All of those to point that there is a perfectly righteous judge that is coming. A perfectly truthful prophet that is coming. And a king of kings that is coming. And his name is Jesus Christ, Savior and Messiah of God. And he's the one ultimately that was announced by John the Baptist, he says in verses 24 and 25. God gave John the Baptist to tell them when Jesus came that this was him. And so he says to these Jews... Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God to us has been sent the message of this salvation. In other words, we have received the gospel. And my friend, you and I as the church and every person on the planet must hear the same message of salvation today that Jesus alone saves That He redeems us from our sin. That He's patient with us. That He alone gives promised eternal rest. That He alone alone is the righteous judge and the truthful prophet. The One who is the way, the truth, and the life. He alone is King of kings, Master and Lord. And Jesus alone can save. Everything in God's Word and everyone who has ever preached the Gospel points the way to Him. And anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ today will be saved. Amen? That's good news. And so He says to them in verse 28, And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. This is what happens to Jesus. And when they carried out all that was written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who, come, who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, the euangelion, the gospel, that what God promised to the fathers, he has now given to us. This is the gospel. In short, Jesus is the Savior. And today, if you will repent of your sin and believe upon Jesus Christ, you will be saved. This is the good news. It's the good news. Any of us. Any of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And He's the only way. He's the only Savior. He's the only Lord. So, how do they respond? That's the heart of the passage. How is it that the people there responded to the Gospel? This Antioch shows us, in a sense, the church there at Jerusalem. Verse 42 says that as they went out, the people begged that these things would be told to them the next Sabbath. You know, I long for that day. Pastor, it was just good today to be in the Word. Man, I'm so glad God spoke to our hearts today. Thank you for bringing us God's Word. We can't wait to gather again next Lord's Day and hear the Bible again because it was just so good. That should be the longing of every human heart, every Christian. And so they did. These weren't Christians yet. But it says the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine preaching the word one Sunday and the rest of the Funiac Springs says, we want to come and hear that the next week. 
Verse 45 says that the resistance came. Verse 45 says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So there is this Jewish resistance. Verse 46, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, so church resilience, saying it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken first to you. And notice what he says here. Since you thrust it aside... And judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. You didn't listen. But it's okay. Because we're going to keep preaching. We're going to go tell all the other people that haven't heard yet. Even though you rejected it. We want to keep telling people about Jesus. What is verse 49? Start in verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the entire region. Church, there's resistance, and yet there is resilience, which ultimately leads to spreading of the gospel. It's the same picture. We see it over and over and over again. And there is a phrase that we must see. There is a reality that we must be that we must see despite all of this resistance. The gospel is multiplying. It's not just multiplying to Jews. It's multiplying to Gentiles. It's going across every people. There are no ethical ethnic lines. There are no economic lines. There are no political lines. Ultimately, the gospel is good news for all people. Every single person. Paul says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the gospel is for all people. Good news. It is not for Americans only. It's not for Jews only. The gospel is for Africans and Asians. The gospel is for South The gospel is for every ethnic group on the planet. Panta ta ethne. All people groups. Everyone on the planet. There are no political boundaries. It's not for Democrats or Republicans. The gospel is not for certain economic groups, the rich or the poor. The gospel is not tied to just simply men or women. The gospel has no generational boundaries. It's not for the old and the young. It's not for my grandparents, but not for me. This is not a new America. It's the same America, the same sinners. And there is still only one hope in Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news to all people. And it's so important for us to see Why? Because we, just like the church at Jerusalem, in all of our excitement about knowing the gospel and having been saved ourselves, we, just like these Jews here at Antioch, have the tendency to become selfish and prideful. And what begins for us as a simple oversight and neglect, the assumption that We're the landing point for the gospel. Later becomes presumption. Because the one people. Us. Who have now received this gospel. Forget our mission to multiply the gospel. To all people. You see this is what Paul was after. It's what he tries to get them to wake up from. 
Open their eyes to see. It's always been God's plan. It didn't begin in Acts chapter 1. It didn't begin in Matthew chapter 28, Luke chapter 4. It didn't even begin at the coming of Jesus. This has always been the plan. And that's why he quotes to them from the Old Testament. He quotes to them from Isaiah chapter 42. It's there in your Bibles. Verse 46 says, We are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, he he's there in the synagogue and he opens up the scripture and he says, you remember the one that's there? Hundreds of years ago, I said to you, Israel, here it is, Isaiah 42, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. And listen to what he says. A light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison. Those who sit in darkness. This is the very thing that Luke echoed. The end of the Gospel of Luke, you know, both written by Luke, Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Thus, it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Same idea and to the end of the earth. Luke repeats it again in Acts chapter one. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's the same story, the same mission, and it has always been God's plan. This is why he called and set apart a specific people to himself that through that people he might bring about the Messiah and that Messiah and through that people, the gospel would go to the ends of the world and Everyone who heard the gospel could be saved. This has always been the plan. It was never intended that God would simply bring the gospel to land on a particular people, but rather that the gospel through them might be multiplied. It's always been God's plan. It was God's plan from the beginning. And it's entirely possible that the church's greatest resistance in America to the spread of the gospel... It's not the government. It's not the culture. It's entirely possible that the greatest threat to the spread of the gospel in America is the American church. Because we falsely assume and even presume that we are the landing point for the gospel. Everything. This is the new world. Now, we may not profess that with our action or with our with our words. But the level of obedience to evangelism in the church, we often give that with our lives. But the gospel is the good news for all people. Praise God this morning that for 2,000 years and more now, that among hundreds of languages, the gospel has been believed and proclaimed and spread even to America. Amen? Praise God that we receive the gospel because for 2,020 plus years, the church has been preaching the gospel. They didn't fail. We give example after example, but I think of men like William Tyndale, 
who fought to defend the doctrine of justification by faith alone, betrayed, brutally executed, but the very first man to translate any part of the Bible to English. You wouldn't have the Bible unless 500 years ago a man was faithful to translate the Bible into English. He was faithful to say, I want the Gospel to go to English-speaking people. Praise God. And so many others. Praise God the church never quit. And we in the 21st century can't quit either. We must continue to preach the gospel, continue to believe the gospel and believe that the gospel was never meant to land on us, but rather that as we receive the gospel, we proclaim it. It's the good news for all people. And I think we need to believe that again. I think we need to deeply believe that again. That we can't stop until every person on the planet has heard the gospel. And there are four reasons in this passage. There's other reasons, no doubt. But there are four reasons in this passage that the gospel is good news to all people. Reason number one. People are willing to hear it. People are willing to hear the gospel. Notice verse 42 says, And they went out and the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Peter, or rather, Paul and Barnabas were not run out of the synagogue. In fact, they said, you know what? We'll provide the meal. We'll provide the meeting place. We'll turn on the air conditioner if you guys will just show up and teach us that stuff again. Not everywhere in first century Rome were they wanting to run them out of town because they were hearing the good news. There were some people who said, we're willing to hear you again on that. In fact, we're eager to hear you. We want you to come back. I think that the enemy has sold us a bill of goods, church. I think that we believe somehow that we live in a culture that no one wants to hear the gospel. I think that we live in a culture where we believe the, lady, the, latest, um, the latest mass media headline, we believe the latest social media headline, and we think that no one in this postmodern world wants to hear the gospel in, anymore. And it's just simply not true. Why? Because God is opening the hearts of people to hear and want to hear and want to believe the gospel. If he weren't doing that anymore, then you and I could close up shop and you might as well just go ahead and wait because Jesus is coming any second. But he keeps leaving us here. And he's given us one command. Go and make disciples. That must mean some people are still going to be saved. Now, I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are, but there are people out there that are willing to hear if we will simply tell them. And the enemy wants to shut us down and shut us up because to believe this lie that no one wants to hear it is to keep our mouths mouth shut. And that's the worst thing that could happen. People want to listen to you. They're interested and they are even eager, even eager. Notice in the passage that they came back to listen and that even later some of them believed people want to hear the gospel 
I had a conversation just this week, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you there is hunger out there. A conversation just this week with, with a lady who didn't know Christ, going through some stuff in her life, and, and it, it was just some of the darkest things you could ever think of in your life. I had a conversation with this lady, and, and she's never heard the gospel. Gave me her phone number, said, I want to hear that again. Tell me that again. It's the most comforting words I've ever heard. Tell me again. Had another conversation this week. You know, you guys know that I spend my days out and or spend my weekends out in 30A doing home automation stuff, weird stuff that nobody knows how it works anyway. And um, but I get to have a conversation with people in their homes, and it's just an amazing thing. People who don't know Jesus and are lost as lost can be. One man this week found out I was a pastor and wanted to know more about what that means and and tell me about the church that you serve. And he doesn't know Jesus and he wants to know what I stand for. Telling you, people want to hear the gospel. But let's also take from this text that they weren't, listen, they weren't saved by their interest in hearing it. Don't miss that. They come back and some of them are later saved. But they weren't saved because they heard a preacher preach. Come on. They weren't saved because they attended a church. They weren't saved because they had a religious background. They were Jews. They were saved because they trusted in Jesus. And I want you to hear this. It takes more than casual interest in Jesus to be saved. It takes faith. So reason number two. Reason number two. God has commanded us to preach the gospel. God has commanded us. It's not something that's an option. It's something we must do. Something we're charged to do. Verse 45, but the Jews saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So all of this rising up. So even if, even if they didn't want to hear, there's other Jews there that are reviling him. Even if they don't want to hear you, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary. It must happen that the word of God be spoken to you first. Why? Because it was commanded in verse 47. I have made you a light to the Gentiles. Paul says, I don't have a choice in this matter. I must preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Do do we believe the Great Commission like that? Do we believe that, that the Great Commission is more than just a casual suggestion? I think that we often live like that, but God has commanded us to proclaim the gospel to the nations. We saw it in Luke chapter 24. We see it in Acts chapter 1-8. We claim Matthew 28 to be a command for us, and yet our lives don't demonstrate it. It's true for every new people who get the gospel. It's not just true for Paul and Barnabas and the disciples. It's true for every new people group. Now that you've heard and believed and been baptized, now go therefore and make disciples. Isn't that the commission? So Defuniac Springs, Southwide Baptist Church, now that you've heard the gospel, it is your job now every single week to go out and proclaim the gospel to the world. It's not only good news because of its content, it's good news because of its appointed delivery method. Some have said it's only good news if it gets there in time. Romans 10 says that we are to proclaim the gospel and how can they hear if there is no preacher? 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We must proclaim the word of God. And yet more and more Christians are more and more disobedient to that command. I want to show you this graph just briefly this morning. A lot of reasons for these numbers, but the graph before you is a picture. The gray line is a picture of the number of churches over time beginning in uh, 1890-ish, 1880, beginning at the inception of the Southern Baptist Convention, the number of churches that we have. And you can see it's continued to climb. Over most of our history, the red line is the number of baptisms in Southern Baptist churches. But you see where the red line begins to fall? That red line is around 2000, just before the Southern Baptist Convention began to see fewer and fewer baptisms. But notice that the gray line continues to climb. We have planted more and more churches. We have more and more churches as Southern Baptists. And we're seeing fewer and fewer and fewer baptisms. I'm not suggesting to you that we are responsible for the saving of people. God is responsible for the saving of people. Amen. Amen. I can't save nobody. Don't come to me to ask to be saved. You go to Jesus. But at the same time, the numbers are related, aren't they? When studies like less than 2% of Christians ever share their faith come out based on polling numbers, it at least should wake us up. And if this trend continues, do you notice? We have baptized fewer people as a Southern Baptist Convention This year, by the way, this doesn't give you 2020, but if you count last year's numbers and beginning to see this year, the trend continues and we have we have baptized fewer people than we baptized in 1950. Many reasons. Yes, we live in a post Christian America, but at least one of those reasons and maybe the biggest reason is the disobedience of the church. We don't really believe that the gospel is for all people. We we hold it to ourselves. But it is because God has commanded it. It's a third reason. God is determined to save through the gospel. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. We're not careful. We'll stumble across four words there. We need to address them. The words are appointed for eternal life. What does that mean? Well, there is clearly a balance between divine providence and salvation. God is sovereign in salvation, and yet people believe upon the gospel. Right? You see both of those things happening there. As many as who were appointed, believed. There's no question, people decided to follow Jesus. While at the same time, God was sovereignly acting in the midst of all of that. On their part, Gentiles took an active role in believing. In committing their lives to Jesus Christ. And there is no doubt in my mind that when you trusted in Jesus, the day you trusted in Jesus, that with every fiber of your, your being, you put your faith in Christ and you personally, on your own responsibility, believed the gospel. And yet, 
None of that ever happens apart from God's God's spirit moving upon us, convicting us and appointing us to eternal life. All salvation, the point is, is ultimately the grace of God. And God is determined to save through the gospel. Put it back into that context. Don't think the emphasis here, don't miss it, is on limiting the scope of the gospel. But rather, limiting the gospel and salvation to the one who actually does the saving in order to show us that God has actually determined to act on behalf of those who are preaching the gospel to save those who hear it. What do I mean? I mean, God has not given you the task of preaching the gospel and said, well, you're on your own. He has promised and determined to save people when you preach the gospel. That's good news. That means it's not of my own strength or my own power or any words that I proclaim. Ultimately, it's the word of the living God that brings about faith and people believe because the spirit leads people to conviction and faith in Christ. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. I don't have to get fancy and creative and figure it out. I don't have to have all of the answers to their questions. Here's what I need to know. And what I know without a shadow of doubt in my mind this morning. And that is that I am a sinner and God is holy and He created me. And I turned in rebellion against Him. But Jesus came to take my place. That's what I know today. And if I will believe the Gospel, the Bible tells me, I will be saved. And praise God, at seven years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so it is a balance. It's important to notice that the result of the event in Antioch was the spreading of the gospel through the whole region. It's not limiting at all. When those who were appointed believed, it actually spread more. When we're faithful to preach, God is faithful to save. We see God's love and sovereign grace and salvation. It is not intended to cause us to stop preaching. Rather, it's intended to stir a heart for an evangelist heart. To stir a heart for evangelism. The gospel is good news to all people. Reason number four, and we'll close. Reason number four. The church's confidence is secure in the gospel. The temptation to quit... When you look around you and you don't see the fruit of your labor. Whenever things don't seem to be coming together and it seems like every time we're trying to do things as a church to see people's lives change, doors shut. Sometimes the temptation to quit is real. Amen? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's call the elephant in the room. Let's point to him. Sometimes there's days you go, what are we even doing? (laughs) But even amidst all of that, The threat being as real as real can be, the church's confidence is absolutely and must be secure in the gospel. The Jews incited devout women, every high standing person, every person of influence. They said, you rise up against the church. They stirred up rumors. They said, you speak out this and you speak out that. We'll run them out of town just as quick as they got here. And what happened? (laughs) Oh, they ran out of town. 
But it says that they shook off the dust from their feet and against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And you will see next week that the word just keeps spreading. Why? How can a gospel like that keep spreading? Because the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit being the seal of their hope, their joy. I love that. Combination of those two things. I have joy because I'm sealed by God. I have joy because I'm saved and you can kill me. You can take my life, but you can't take the gospel. You, you can take my life, my health, my family, my career, everything from me, but you can't take Jesus because no one can snatch, snatch me from His hand. No one. No one. And even if you take my life, I will stand before my Creator and I will stand before my Savior and I will worship for all of eternity. I've got confidence in that. And every one of us who know Jesus have confidence in that. And that is a reason to keep preaching the Gospel to all people. No matter the danger, no matter the conflict it brings, no matter the cultural differences that may be, all of those things, Jesus can overcome. So for those reasons, the gospel is good news for all people. Next week we go back to normal, whatever normal is. Normal schedule. But I want to suggest to you that things may never be back to normal for the American church again. But I think that in these days it is more important that we focus on being biblical than it is that we focus on being normal. And maybe God is shaking us right now and sending us into the community with a heart for the lost. I pray so. I pray that we will be obedient to God's command and that we will proclaim the gospel and that we will pray that God would give us the lost. We began praying for this. I hope that you've joined me in that. Because people all around us are willing to hear and God has determined to save and our confidence is secure. So are we going to be obedient? No, we can't change the graph. But through the gospel and our preaching of the gospel, we can see God change lives one at a time right here in Defuniac Springs. Some of you here this morning need to be obedient in some specific ways when it comes to evangelism. Some of you have specific names on your heart, specific people. Local, global, maybe it's a people group. God has laid them on your heart. The gospel is good news for you this morning and it's good news for them. Will you be faithful this time? Not saying I'm going to wait for an opportunity this week when the timing's right, whenever they're willing to hear me. What if they're just waiting for you to speak? Some of you, God might be leading to join this church. To join in the mission of God here as all of us together are being held accountable to one another and are encouraging one another to keep preaching the gospel. Because I just believe that there is no other way forward as a church. I'm convinced, I'm convinced of that. I'm convicted. Even as I stand here to you this morning, just in my own life and my own witness, there is no other way forward. None. We have no other mandate. Some of you, if the statistics are right, whether you're here or online, some of you listening this morning need to believe the gospel and be saved. 
It's good news. Such good news. Oh, it is so simple. I don't, I don't come offering God anything because I have nothing to offer. So I come empty and I come broken and I lay my life down. And I say, Jesus, I need you to do in my life what only you can do. I need you to take this old wretched sinner's heart and I need you to save me and change me. And the good news is that Jesus, by His Spirit, brings life to dead bones. He raises the sinner to life and you become born again. And through faith in Jesus Christ today, faith alone, God gives you the riches of heaven. That is mercy. I gain what I do not deserve because I trust in the one who does deserve. Would you bow your heads all across this room this morning? I, I just, I just, I want to call you to these things. And I just believe with all my heart that now is the time to respond. And if this people who are called by the name of Christ will not only repent of our sin of disobeying the Great Commission, but we will pray for the lost. I I don't think you can unilaterally apply that verse completely to our situation individually, but certainly corporately because Jesus has called us to this task. And I believe that if the American church, the true church, would rise up and proclaim the gospel, that people would be saved and lives would be changed in our country. It's a question of obedience. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to stand with me. Go ahead. Let's stand together this morning. And we're going to open this altar. And even as God moves our hearts, we've got to obey Him. You want to be saved this morning? You want to trust in Christ? You come down this altar say, Pastor, today I want to be saved. You want to join this church? Come on. Never been baptized? Come on. Whatever, whatever the decision is this morning, you come. Lord, I pray You'd have Your way in this place. That we would give You our hearts and our lives right now in these moments. In Jesus' name, Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.